All right, let's open in prayer as we look at the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. We thank you for your great love for us, that you cared so much for us, that you came to this world to die for us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. We finished 3 John last, last week. And being that there's only five Sundays counting today between now and uh, Resurrection Sunday, I decided to do a little bit of s- little series on what's called the Passion Week. Uh, and passion means just the pain that Jesus went through, uh, the, intense, the intensity of what he went through. And, uh, you know, we go through the scriptures, and do you realize that one-third of the entire Gospels is all about the last week of Jesus' life. Okay, there's 89 chapters in the Gospels, and 30 of them cover the last week. That's a pretty amazing thing that, you know, how important God thought that last week was. Now, just a few things happened during that last week. the triumphant entry, which we're going to talk about today, the cleansing of the temple where Jesus changed the money changers out, uh, discourses on the end days, uh, discourses on the fact that he was going to die. Uh, the, the Lord's Supper was established that day. He, he washed the disciples' feet and showed that the servant, the, the master wasn't above the servants. Uh, we talked, he talked about the second coming and the end days. He talked about uh, uh, that he was going to die. And it's kind of an amazing thing when you read through the scriptures that the apostles did not seem to understand that Jesus was going to die. Okay, and yet he had told them for four years, he had been telling them, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And yet when it came time for him to die, it's like, uh, hold it, you can't be dying. Uh, And this is something that we look at, you know, and and I've mentioned many times, we've got to be careful because we can't be too critical of them because we do the same thing. Jesus repeats the same things over and over and over to us in the scriptures. And we go, what, were you talking to me? (laughs) Uh, And we might not be that blunt, but we we act that way. (laughs) Uh, Things hit us with a surprise. Uh, During that period of time, Gethsemane started, the arrest of Jesus, his trials, and Jesus only went through five trials in 24 hours. You know, kind of amazing. You may not have realized that, but he went to five different courts overnight, which is an amazing thing because two of them were Jewish courts, and they weren't even allowed to meet at night in their courts, and yet he went before them, and then three were Roman courts. And then he went to the cross where he died for our sins, and before that he was mocked, he was beaten, he was buried, and he was resurrected. You know, there's so much thing there that one day we might do a series on Passion Week. <laughs> It'll probably take an entire year to do a series on, on, a, on Passion Week, but one day we'll probably do a series just on all the things that happened to Jesus and what that, during that period of, per, period of one week. Uh, we're only going to pick like four things be this <laughs> over the next five weeks, but, uh, but I encourage you get to, get to really look at some of these things because God thinks this is an important event. All of history points to the cross, and all of our history points back to the cross. And it's a pretty amazing thing, the central point of all things. A lot of times people say the central point was Jesus' birth. No, that, that was the, the only reason he had to be born was so that he could die. Okay, he needed to be born, live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice lamb, lamb so he could die on the cross. You know, and we tend to celebrate his birth a lot more than we do his death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, when we think about it in the Bible, 
What's the most important event? The most important event isn't necessarily even that he died. All human beings die. The most important event was that he died for us, but that he resurrected. Death could not hold him in the grave. Satan could not hold him. And that is the most important thing. And we'll talk, one of the, you know, right the Sunday before uh, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to talk about the crucifixion. You know, bring your, bring your handkerchiefs and your crying towels because it's a really hard topic to get talk about. But that was the most important event, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then, you know, I've told you all, there's only a handful of things that I find that are worth arguing over from the Bible. One is that the Bible is absolutely true. And the other one is that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God and is God who died on the cross, was buried for, for our sins, was buried and resurrected. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot to argue about. And you all know I have very strong opinions and very strong beliefs. But none of those are worth arguing about other than those couple of things. Because without the death of Jesus Christ, we had nothing to be saved. Okay? Jesus would have wasted his time if he didn't die on the cross for our sins and take our sins upon him and then resurrect. So this, to me, this is probably the most exciting period of time, even though we don't practice it at the right time. This is the most exciting time for us as Christians to celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we're going to look at this uh, in a bit, and we're going to cover this. We're going to look at Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 29. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethagi and Bethany at the mount called Olive, he sent two disciples, saying, Go you into the village over against you, in which you in which at your entering you shall find a colt tied. Thereupon yet never a man has sat. Loose him and bring him here. And if any man asks you, why do you loose him? Thus you are to say to him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they were, and they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owner said unto them, why, why loose you the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments on the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their coats, coats in the way. And when he was coming nigh, even into the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole of the multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice and with all and with mighty words and they, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees were from, from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their tongues, the stones would immediately cry out. This is called the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And it's an amazing event when we really start to understand it. In those days, if a king came into a city as a conqueror, he had two ways he could come in. He would ride on a donkey, or he would ride in on a white horse. If he rode in on a donkey, he was telling the people, I'm coming in as peaceful. I'm not coming, you know, I've conquered you, you're my people, but I'm coming in to rule you with a gentle hand. If he came in on a white horse, he was saying, you are a conquered people, and I'm ruling you with an iron fist, and you're going to do what I have, are telling you. Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem on two different occasions. 
once was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> he came in on a donkey. Being rejoiced, the people celebrated him coming in. They, this one didn't bring it out, but they put down their coats, and they were bringing down, down palm branches, and they were saying, Hosanna, which means save now, and, and God bless. And you know, was, you know, they were rejoicing that the king was entering Jerusalem. Jesus is the last individual who can prove his kingship to David, being the true king, because the genealogy has been posted in the Bible that came from the records. And the records in Jerusalem were destroyed in 70 AD. There is not another person out there that can prove that they're a descendant of David the way the Bible is always taught. And now we now know DNA and everything. They've probably figured out some way to, to prove it. But even then, how do you prove it? You just prove a line that says that they're of David, but you're not going to prove that they are David's seed. Jesus was the last one that could prove, I'm of David's seed. And he's resurrected, so he has not died, so there is not another king to take his place. <laughs> you know, and he came into Jerusalem in that first time peacefully. He said, I'm coming in to rule gently. And he spent a week, and what was the very first thing he did, if you read on, and he got in there, is he went to the temple, and he cleansed the temple out of all the thieves and the money changers. Now, we think of the temples kind of differently than, than they did at that time. When we think the temple, we probably think something more like our churches. <laughs> well, the temple had the temple where, the, where you had the Holy of Holies, where the offering would be brought into, and you had the forefront of it where the showbread was and the menorah and all these things were sitting there. And in front of that, you had the place where all the sacrifices were actually made up, you know, was, were cut up and prepared for burning. And then in front of that, you had acres and acres of land that people would go to, and they'd have meetings and classes and gatherings, and, and you had all these guys that were selling you know, things endorsed by the priest that you brought your offering in to be sacrificed. They would look it over and say, nope, that's not good enough. You've got to go buy one of those approved ones over there. Uh, and usually they wanted you to leave yours with them so they could sell yours to somebody else at, as an approved lamb next, next time. Uh, and Jesus went in there, and this was going on. People were coming into the church or the tabernacle and being cheated and being manipulated. Now, if you know your Bible, that's nothing new. It's nothing different. Uh, Sam, uh, when Samuel took over from, from uh, Eli, the reason that Eli was rejected was because he didn't discipline his boys. And his boys were taking the best of the sacrifices and sleeping with the women and making it so that nobody wanted to come to the gods to worship God. And they're not the only example. It goes through all through scriptures where that was happening. You know, could you imagine you come to church, and before you could come to church, you had to pay the price to be able to get into church, and whatever you brought wasn't good enough? You know, that was what was going on in Jesus' day. And he went to the temple and said, no, this is my father's house, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. He came in as a ruler saying, no, this isn't, this isn't the way it's going to be. And this is the one thing we look at it. Jesus coming in, and he told the, the Pharisees when they criticized him, going, you know, if these people didn't cry out, the rocks would be praising him. I wonder what that would have been like, <laughs> you know, have, to have the rocks praise Jesus. <laughs> you know, scriptures talk about nature in a different way than we pro perceive it apparently there's something about nature that god understands as worshiping him 
We know that he has, still has control of the animals. When Noah needed to fill the ark, I've had people, have you ever had anybody, well, how did Noah get all those animals on the ark? Well, it was real easy. God sent them. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have to wander around going, finding two of every animal. God sent him two of every animal that he needed to put on the ark. They didn't need to have fish. Fish can swim. <laughs> fish can live in the flood. <laughs> it says it really says that every, two of every air-breathing animal were brought to the ark. And there are certain insects that wouldn't have been included because they can survive without air for long periods of time. So God did what it took, and He brought what was needed. And you know, we think about this. God is sovereign. He is the ruler. You know, and many times we'll get into this, well, God, I just don't understand. Why would you let such and such happen? Because he's in charge. <laughs> yeah, he's in charge. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see things so differently than we do down on this world. It's been asked to me many times, will we forget everything that happened on this world? And there's two schools of thought. Yes, you will, because there's no way you can be able to think of the things without being brought into sadness and tears. Or the way that I believe is, because we understand it from God's point of view, We'll understand that it was for good and it was, that there was value in it and it wasn't, it's not going to make us sad in heaven because we'll see it the way God sees it. And that's how I believe it will be. You know, we will see things so differently when we get to heaven and we go, oh, is that why you let all those things <laughs> happen to me? God, I just didn't understand it down there. And he goes, I know you didn't understand it down there because you were on the wrong side looking in. We, we, we talk, you know, I've talked about it and many have talked about it. It's like doing needlepoint or tapestry. If you're looking at the back side of the, the needlepoint and the tapestry, it looks like a total mess. Uh, Lynn used to do a lot of it for a while and I'd, and I'd, I'd flip them over and go, wow, what an ugly thing, but you flip it over on the other side and there was a nice picture. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen to us when we get to heaven. We're going to flip it over and God's going to say, here, this is what I, this is the artwork that I was creating that you didn't understand. We need to be able to trust God. He has a plan. And according to Romans 8.28, he has a good plan. And a perfect plan. For us to try to second guess God is not going to help. Can you imagine if... Jesus wasn't God and didn't know what was going on. He's going into uh, Jerusalem, and he's going to die. Number one, if any of us were in that position, would we have ridden into Jerusalem? <laughs> now we're going, uh, I think I'm going the other way. Uh, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm not going to Nineveh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jesus knew the plan, and he knew that it was a good plan. He understood the pain that he was going to go through to accomplish that plan. Most of us, when we go through pain, the first thing we want to do is get away from the pain because we don't want to get to the other side to see what God has got in planned. Jesus understood there was a plan. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Because what did he tell Pilate? He goes, I can call 10,000 angels, or he said ten legions. You know, he says, I can call more angels than you have troops, Pilate. You know, you only have power because it's given to you. Do we look to rest in the power of God, or do we fight against it? And if you're like me, and I know many of you are, we fight against it more often than accept it. Our job is really to learn to accept. 
the longer I walk with God, the more I learned, I've learned to accept what he sends my way. Life gets a lot easier when you accept it. I still fight at various points, like, like all of us. But, you know, and I hope you're in a place where you found places where you've just accepted it and said, well, it's smooth, it's easy to get through. When you fight it, God still gets his way. Yeah. He gets his way. Uh, it's just like you know, if you've ever trained a dog to walk on a leash. Most dogs do not like to walk on a leash, at least not at first. They will plant their paws <laughs> and, not, and not go with you. Or they will shoot way ahead of you and try to drag you with them. And if you've got a big enough dog, that could be a problem. <laughs> but, you know, they end up having to fight and they end up getting choked. They end up getting hurt a little bit because of their fighting against the leash. We tend to do the same thing with God. We'll dig our feet in the ground, say, I am not going this way. And God has to drag us to where he wants us to go. Or we will try to charge off in the wrong direction and get ahead of him and get choked <laughs> and pulled back. We need to learn to just relax with God and follow him in what he's asking us to do. Is it easy? Not at first. The dog didn't find it easy when he was learning to walk on the leash at first. When he finally gave in and actually walked with you, it is a wonderful experience to be walking with God, not straining against him, not being pulled by God to where, where we're going, but to walk with him. Jesus was walking with God, headed down from Mount Olives down into Jerusalem, knowing what would wait at him. Now, sometimes, and we're going to talk about it, you know, about the cross, but, you know, we think about the cross, and we don't really think that much of it. Oh, yeah, he was, he was nailed to a cross. There was so much more to it than just being nailed to the cross. And we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks, but, you know, he knew what was coming. This was something that every person in Rome knew. When they, when they talked about crucifixion, those crosses were placed on the roadways into the entries of the cities. You did not walk into any city without seeing somebody hanging on a cross. It was Rome's way of saying, you do wrong and this is what's going to happen to you, so don't do wrong. And it was a fairly good deterrent for most people. <laughs> now, there were people who didn't. They, they were willing to take the chances. But Jesus knew what was coming. He also knew that his pain was not just going to be physical. The physical pain of the cross was bad enough, but Jesus knew there was going to be a spiritual component to what he was going to go through. So his problem was it was going to be intensified. And yet, he rode into Jerusalem <laughs> to obey the Father. Our, my challenge for us as we look in here is, are we willing to obey the Father no matter what it looks like we're riding into, walking into whatever you might want to use? It's important for us to be able to say, God, I want to do what you want me to do. Even if it appears that it's going to be painful, even if it appears that it's going to be hard, God's in control. You think all through history of all these different people who have given their lives for Christ. And we can name off a bunch of, bunch of them. All the disciples were martyred except for John. All through history, Christians have been martyred and killed. In recent days, 
you know, going back a hundred years, there have been a lot of famous people who have died for Christ. And people go, well, how can dying for Christ be all that wonderful? Well, you know what? If you've studied the history of the church, you'll know a lot of those names. You know, uh, Elliot, very recent person who gave his life, along with Sinclair, Nick Sinclair and those who gave their lives down in South America, and then the Native Americans that killed them got saved. You know, all through these times, we look at the different names and we say, who are these people that died for Christ? Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who we have the quote on the uh, PowerPoints in the morning right now, great leader of God who died for Christ and is still known for today for what he's done. The disciples who we all know. Does a death mean the end of your testimony? Sometimes it may just be the beginning of your testimony. You know, we look over this, what does God have in plan for us? What does God want from us? We might be John, who lives to live to old age, <laughs> preaching, preaching the gospel for that age. We might be a Paul who loses his life only 10 years, 12 years after he gets, becomes a Christian and gets beheaded. You know, we might be any one of these people in any, any place, but God has a plan. He has a plan for us to be able to have a testimony before him. Our goal, walk with him. <laughs> walk with him and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever. Elliot has a quote that we had a quote a while back. It goes, it's, no man, a man is not a fool who gives up what he can't keep for, what, for that, that, he can, that is eternal. Our life, how many of us put such a high price on our life in this world that we will sacrifice eternal rewards? Where is our thought? Where is our hope? We sing songs all the time, and I hope when we sing these songs, we listen to them and say, this is what, is what I've got. We sing a hymn, my hope is based on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Is our hope based on him, or is my hope on living to retirement and dying of old age? Now, there's nothing wrong with living to retirement and dying of old age. Unless God said, I wanted you to serve me and have a testimony that ended in a righteous way. Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings of Israel, was told by the prophet, prepare your house, get it in order, you're going to die. He bowed down, weeping and praying to God and asked for more time. He got 13 more years of life. During that 13 years of life, he gave birth to the worst king of Israel that had ever existed. He got his answer, and the people suffered because of his answer. We want to be careful. Do I want to just say, God, thank you? What does Hezekiah now know for? Not all the great things he did, but giving birth to an evil, awful king. If he had died at the time when he said, get your house in order, another one of his sons would have come to power, wouldn't have been killed by their brother. They would have possibly ruled differently. Who knows? We don't know what would have happened. But this period gave birth to a wicked individual. Do we want to fight God? God is so merciful and kind, sometimes he'll let us have our way. 
Have you ever had an experience in your life that you fought hard to get God to answer for you and you found out later it was the wrong thing to do? And you're going, man, God, why did you answer that prayer? You know, why did you let that happen, God? And God said, well, you really, really wanted it. You weren't going to settle for anything else. We want to be able to say, God, I want to follow you. I want to be so much in your word. I want to take and go where you want no matter what. You know, if, like I said, if we were Jesus, we'd be going, God, I'm not going down in that, I'm not going down in that city. If I go down in that city, I'm going to do everything I can not to go to the cross. And we'd have fought it tooth and nail. And Jesus says, I'm just going to obey the Father. I'm going to go down in the city. I'm going to, you know, basically he stirred up trouble. <laughs> when, you read the, when you read the events of going on that week, he, he stirred up a lot of trouble. At that point, he was not carrying what he did because he knew he was going to the cross. Before that, he'd be diplomatic. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be telling people straight up, you know, you know, you're of your, you're of your, fa- you're of your father, the devil. Telling that to the righteous leaders. <laughs> Uh, they didn't particularly like that statement from him. Have you ever said something to somebody that's not politically correct and faced their anger and their outburst? You know, Jesus, for th- four years before, the, before this last week, was pretty much, okay, I'm going to say some things that are going to be hard to say, but I'm not going to quite cross that line of making them want to kill me. He's now one week before his death, and it's like, okay, I'm dying at the end of this week. (laughs) I'm going to tell you everything. And he did. How often are we silent because we just don't want to offend people? There may be times not to. If you're being paid by an employer to do a job, being politically correct during that period of time may be something that is important to do, unless God's leading you to be vocal and lose your job. And then don't say that you persecuted because you lost your job. You, you lost your job because you weren't doing what you were told to do by man. But usually, this is a place to say, okay, I'm going to be a little more silent. This is not the time and place. Now, when I'm on break or I'm not at work, I'll say what, I'm, what I believe and what I do. And if it costs me my job, now, now we're talking about persecution. And that's happening more and more in, in this world. People are being persecuted for what they do off company time and off, off these things. And we're seeing these problems. We can't control that. All we can do is teach and say what God says. You know, I've said many times, uh, I expect to go to prison for everything I teach on gets recorded and sent around the world. Because when they ask me, do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? I'm going to say yes. When they say, do you believe that fornication is a sin? I'm going to say yes. The, the evidence is against me anyway. It's all, all, on, all on the recordings. <laughs> and, but I'm not going to deny it. That can get me in trouble even where I work. Even though I say it now when I'm not at work. Or not, not at that work. <laughs> but you know, we, we've got to stand for God. If God says something, we need to be agreeing with God. If that cost us, it cost us. And we go, God, thank you, thank you that I'm worthy of suffering for you. Remember, we've talked about what did the disciples say when they would be suffering? Thank you, I've been found worthy to suffer. We need to get this into our mindset because there's going to come times when we're going to suffer for God as we get closer to the end days. And if we're going to gripe and complain because we're suffering, we don't know our Bible. 
Unfortunately, in thousands of churches across America, they teach that if you don't have good things happening to you, there's something wrong with you. If you don't have lots of money in the bank, there's something wrong with you. If you've been oppressed in any way, shape, or form, there's something wrong with you. I don't know where they're getting their message from. It's not a biblical message. Jesus said they hated me, they will hate you. And Jesus was killed. All the disciples were killed. Many Christians throughout history have been killed for following Christ. The closer we get to the end times, we can start counting on being killed. And a really hard thing is that here in America, we're being spared. Most of the world, if you're a Christian, your life expectancy is less than two or three years for being a Christian. In America, in general, we're not persecuted. We may give, you know, they, we, they may tease us. They may give us a hard time. We might lose a job or two somewhere. But there's not very many people in America that are losing their life for Jesus. Which also makes us wonder, are we being godly enough to really irritate the world? I would say the reason we get so many missionaries to America is because we're not being godly enough to irritate the world. And the other parts of the world know that we have compromised. We need to live a life that is going to stand in opposition to the world. Not in just being like the world. And I can tell you, if you do that, you're going to get all kinds of criticism, even from other Christians. Well, you're just being too spiritual. You're just, being, you're just putting God in everything. Of course I am. That's what I'm called to do. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I am a Christian. I'm called to bring God into everything. You're called to bring God into every part of your life. And if that irritates people, it irritates them because they don't like the light. And this is even happens in our world. You know, turn on the light in a, in a place that's full of cockroaches and watch the cockroaches scramble. They don't like the light. If there's rats or mice, turn on a light and they will scramble. The world does not like light. It reveals their wickedness. It reveals their sin. And, you know, for us as Christians, when God turns the light up in our life, we don't like what we see either. You know, when he opens up the light and, it's, and we go, ugh. God, I thought I got rid of all that garbage in my heart. Turn that light back down. He goes, no, we want, we want it out. We shine a light and the world is going to react. If the world is not reacting, then you need to be able to say, God, am I shining the light? Am I shining the light? If the world loves us, there's a problem. And I don't mean that we want them to go out and make them hate us, you know, but... Uh, but if they love everything we stand for, then we're not representing Christ in their life. You know, God calls all kinds of things sin, and we've got to call them sin. And if the world doesn't like it, tough. It's not my problem that the world doesn't like what God says it. In the Bible, the people didn't like when God said things were sin. They rejected and repelled it. Jesus came in to be obedient to God, the Father to go to the cross, to become sin for us. I want to encourage each one of us to go out this week and be a light. Be a light. 
and ask God for the strength to be the light when he really wants to put it out. <laughs> because it will happen. If that's where God wants you, then that's where it's at. God gives us the opportunity. He will give us the strength. And if we pay the ultimate cost and end up in heaven, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, this is the problem with us as many Christians is we don't want to believe God. We don't want to believe that God has a good plan for us. We don't want to trust that he's in control of everything that's happening. And we don't want to trust that when we die, we end up in his presence. What could be greater for us as a Christian? All right, God, they put me to death. Oh, hi, God, how are you? I get to see you now. I get to hear you now. I'm not walking by faith anymore. It's by sight because I'm with you. I've shared with you, when I was young, I used to tell people all the time, the worst thing you can do is almost kill me. If they killed me, I'd go to heaven. If they almost killed me, I had to suffer. I would much rather have been killed than suffer. <laughs> but you know, if God has a plan for us, I'd rather be here even if I have to suffer. Because the one thing that's wonderful is seeing what God does. I have enjoyed watching what God does with me, through me, around me, with others. It is fun to watch God work. It is fun to watch people get saved. It is fun to watch people grow in Christ. The greatest blessing I've had in the time I've been here is just watching people grow. <laughs> Start out hardly caring for God in the Word and all of a sudden coming back and telling me about reading the Bible or sharing the Gospel with somebody or, or whatever it might be that's going on and you just watch how people's lives have changed. That's a great thrill, at least for me, to watch and see how lives changed and know that they're becoming closer to God, being ready to handle the hardships that are coming. What are we going to do for God? What are you willing to do for God is probably the bigger question. Are you willing to let him use you? Who knows what that might lead to? Maybe, maybe you'll be the person who saves the next Billy Graham. You realize that Billy Graham was saved by somebody who had not saved a lot of people in his life. He just went out and took, gave them a message and Billy Graham got saved. You know, what if that person had not done their job? May not have had a Billy Graham. You know, maybe you'll be somebody like Billy Sunday, who was another evangelist who got saved by just one person talking to him. What is our, you might be the catalyst for somebody that's really going to change the world. You might be the person who changes the world. You, know, you look at a George Mueller a scoundrel, a thief, a liar, a gambler, a manipulator of people. And God taught him to pray. You know, and how would you like to be somebody who's sitting there facing a $10,000 bill that's due tomorrow and no money in the, in the bank to pay it? And knowing that you've got thousands and thousands of people depending on you to run the orphanage. And all you can do is pray. <laughs> We, we really, you know, lift him up and everything, you know, say, well, what a, what a great man. But you know how nerve-wracking it is? Have you been there where you may be praying for, how am I going to pay this bill? And yours may only be a couple hundred dollars. And he was facing thousands of dollars constantly. 
and God did the same thing he does to us, he'd wait till the last moment to give it to you. You know, it's an amazing thing. When I was living by faith, it was amazing that God, you know, this, is, this bill's due tomorrow. <laughs> I, I really would like to get it paid. <laughs> and as you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay it, you know, you'd get the money and you'd be able to pay it just before the place closed. <laughs> God works this way so often because he wants to test us. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Are you willing to trust God even when it looks like it's not going to work out. Most of us don't trust in that way. All right, God, you didn't answer my prayer. Uh, what can I do now to fix my problem? I can do this. I can go do this. I can, you know, and we start not trusting God. It's real easy. We walk by sight, not by faith in most cases. And God said the just shall walk by faith. And too often we try to get out there and we start walking by faith. We start walking by faith and if we don't get the answer in the time that we want the answer, we go, okay, God, I'm walking by sight. It's not happening. I'm going to change. I'm going to go do what I can do. Trust God. Trust God in all you do and obey him. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you were obedient to the Father, that you went to the cross and you didn't turn your back. You didn't turn your back on it. Lord, if there's anybody who doesn't know you, we ask that they will turn their heart over to you when they hear this message. That they will bend their life to you and say, God, I want to serve you. I want your forgiveness. Come into my heart and keep me. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.